So much of having a guilt-free experience is about not overspending and like finding that balance between feeling restored, which is what more often than not we want vacations to do uh, without blowing money. And so the first thing I would say is, as you were suggesting, is to give yourself permission to spend less. Like do not buy into this idea that by spending less or making an effort to spend less that you are by default creating a subpar experience. That's just simply not true. I think the last thing that anyone really wants to deal with is to be stressed to decide that you want to take a vacation to sort of remove that stress from your life only to come back with even more stress because now you have a ton of bills on things and experiences that you quite honestly didn't even really enjoy that much. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking about how to take a guilt-free vacation. I need a guilt-free vacation. Right? Like, I, I should just listen. <laughs> and then <laughs> you can tell talk. me what I need to do so I can take a guilt-free vacation. Well, this episode was inspired in part by a recent Bloomberg article that came across my Twitter feed. And the title of it was... Hotel rooms over $500 a night are too much even for rich travelers. And the article basically called an end to this golden era of revenge spending on travel that hiked up all the prices last summer. But I thought the article also really just captured the sentiment that I've been feeling about travel lately and how expensive it's gotten. It's just like it's just too much for the average household. According to the travel site Hopper, U.S. hotel prices were 54% higher in January of 2023 than they were the previous year. Wow. And so people were paying an average of $212 a night just a couple months ago, and it hasn't really gotten that much better. So I was kind of happy to see that, like, even wealthy travelers weren't willing to pay this amount because, like, you know, you take a vacation and all of a sudden the, the, the hotel bill is the same as your mortgage for yeah. like a couple of days, which yeah. is just crazy. I'll even say this, even as as business owners. Right. And, and I'm very sensitive to it because I just finished doing our taxes. And so I've got like a pretty good understanding of just how much we spent on on, on travel last year. But, you know, generally speaking, if you're if your revenue was up 20 percent a year and that leads to like, let's say, like a 10 percent or 15 percent, even if it's just like a 20 percent increase in profit. Like that is completely wiped away when you're talking about a 54% increase in travel. You know what I mean? And so when you're looking at the two, it's like, wow, like how much more would I have to earn if you're a W-2 worker or how much more would I have to create if you're an entrepreneur just to cover the cost of travel, right? Like crazy. Or you could even ask, well, how much more are we going to have to raise our rates just to incorporate travel into our lives or to be able to accomplish a particular job? And so it's really, really... Uh, crazy times. I did not read that article. I I, I don't know why. <laughs> I think I saw it, but I, I just, I'm so used you to like, it now. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm so used to it. I'm just like, yeah, well, yeah, that's what they do, right? It's, and, and it kind of makes sense. They're trying to make up for lost times. Uh, but what I did see, which I thought was really interesting because it was sort of me already acknowledging the fact that it was so expensive, is that so many hotels are pretty much just saying, you know what, the days of housekeeping are over. Like yeah. if it's not a luxury experience. And I was like, wow, like they, they didn't reduce the rate at all, right? So it was they like, we're not going to clean service. your room. We're actually going to raise the price on you. <laughs> and you have absolutely no choice but to just say it is what it is because you want to be here. Yeah. So this is the world that we live in. But to your point, it, it's it's wild. I mean, obviously we spent a lot of our 
corporate careers working in travel. And so a lot of this stuff is a kind of second nature to us. But even when I think back to 2020, where we didn't do a lot of travel for obvious reasons, but 2021, we got out there. 2022 with the book tour, for sure, we got out there. And I I remember, I mean, it was so, so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I felt like an idiot because I felt like we should have charged more <laughs> in a lot of different ways just to make up for uh, the cost of travel. And so all of that to say, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are single, whether you're a family in a relationship with kids, especially, like it is really, really expensive. And so we're hoping that we can offer some tips, some guidance, some new insights, maybe just new ideas, anything just to help you all uh, think about what travel would look like. And hopefully when you're done, it is guilt free. Yeah. You know, I thought about calling this episode how to travel affordably. But when I thought about the feeling that I get when I do something that I can afford and enjoy it, like it's really what I'm chasing here. I'm not just chasing an escape. I'm chasing the kind of escape that doesn't cause buyer's remorse, which is where the kind of guilt-free comes from. Because yes. if you if you go on vacation to escape and you return and you're stressed out, that's just hustling backwards. Yes. So to your point, today we're going to talk about how to plan for a trip, how to save on transportation, food, and activities, and then offer some tips that we have with traveling for kids, traveling with kids, and doing these multi- generational trips, kids and grandma. And I want to start with the planning process because Julian gets way more into the planning process than I do. I'm really happy to hear you admit that. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) And he basically like starts with the budget and the intent of the trip and then immerses himself into the location to decide on the vibes and what we're trying to accomplish. But I'll let him speak for himself. And I don't really feel like I've done this in a while. Uh, I think we typically or I typically look at it this way whenever I know we're going to spend like a couple thousand dollars on a vacation, right? Like at that point, I really have to ask, is it worth it to get this thing? And I don't even know why I ask you anymore because you always just say, yep, it's worth it. It's worth it. I was like, it's not though. Like it's really not. Like I hear you like trying to prevent this thing. And I'm like speaking of something in particular based on our last big vacation. But anyway, let's talk about planning. So one of the biggest biggest mistakes I see uh, people making is that they start their travel planning like dead set on a destination or dead set on the timing. And I, I get it. Sometimes we can't really avoid that. But one of the best things that you can do is to be flexible or one or on both. Like if you can do that, you are just unlocking a world of opportunities. But when you don't, you're locking yourself into the exact same points that you were making before. Like it's going to cost X amount of dollars and there's nothing that you can do about it. And those are sort of the ingredients or the sort of kindling that leads to a lot of the guilt that people have around taking a vacation and then coming back to like a lot, a lot of bills. So if you're locked into both of those things, like planning early is the best thing that you can do to save money because both airlines and hotels use what's called dynamic pricing, which means the prices fluctuate based on supply and demand. If there are a lot of people that want to travel to that place during that time, it's going to be really expensive. If you are flexible, you have way, way, way more options to save. So you want to ask yourself a couple of questions to help you narrow down the options or maybe even consider a few different ones. So first is who am I going with? Because that matters. Are you going with your partner? Are you going with your brother, your friends? Like those things are going to help you dictate, you know, lots of things like the time of the day that you might be traveling or the level of quality and the hotel experience that you're looking for, the types of hotel rooms that you might be 
willing to uh, get versus what you wouldn't get if you were going with, let's say, a partner, right? You might be more or less willing, depending on your situation, to get a double room and share a room, right? Second thing is like, what's your budget? Obviously, this is, you're talking about money. This is going to cost money. So you want to be clear on what that budget is. Obviously, it needs to be a reasonable budget because you want to make sure that you can actually accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. But it's going to immediately affect all of the things that are important, where you can go, how you get there, how long you can actually stay in that place, and what you can do when you're actually there. So what is your budget? Third, what kind of a vacation are you looking for? And this one, I think, is really, really important because sometimes when people plan a vacation, like they're just like, it's like an automatic thing. It's the summer, we got to plan a vacation. But I think you really need to ask them, what exactly are we looking for, right? Do you really want to just relax on a beach? Do you want to do something a little bit more adventurous, which might mean that you actually don't need to stay on a beach or even go to a beach destination? Are you looking for, let's say, like a cultural city immersive experience? Are you looking for peace and quiet? Like you just want to be in a desert somewhere or in a mountains? All of those things matter. And I think when you don't, like so many people are just automatic. It's like, I want a vacation, need to find a beach. And it's like, well, you and just about like everyone else. Right. Right. So it's going to be really, really expensive. But if what you're really, really looking for, and I'm saying this for a lot of those people who maybe did not ask that question, if you're really, really looking for just peace and quiet, you may not need to go to a beach because you might not see or experience peace and quiet on a beach. So you really want to consider like all of those other kinds of destinations that might give you that sort of, you know, away from it all kind of feel. Yeah, you might just need some water. You might just need some water. Lake you, is th- very you can get different. that on a lake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so and it's for some people, and it sounds crazy saying this, it's like people love going to a beach and don't even like the water. Or the sand. Or the sand. <laughs> yeah. So why are you going to yeah, a beach? You don't get in the water. You don't get in the water. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to put my foot in it. Yeah, well, that's not a couple thousand dollars just to put your foot in the water. Right. And then the last question when to ask yourself is like, when is it like not peak season yes. for that particular destination? Because that is going to be the huge driver. It goes back to what we were saying before. If everyone else in the world wants to go to that place, it's going to be that much more expensive. So you really want to pay attention to when the peak season for something is. And I'm telling you, even just like the weekend before peak season can make a huge difference in how much it's going to cost you to actually have that experience. So when you do this, like I said, it just creates a bit more clarity around what you're looking to get out of that experience and hopefully unlocks a different type of vacation that ultimately leads to you saving money. I love the the point about peak season because even in places like Vegas, sometimes there's not a peak season, but there is a peak night. Mm-hmm. So in Vegas, if you're trying to stay on a Saturday night, well, the rates are going to be twice as much as if you're just trying to stay on a Tuesday night. So that having that flexibility of knowing where the peaks and the valleys are will really help you narrow down to find something to fit your budget. And again, you know, everyone's wanting to go to, what do they call them? Residences and people that Uh are having like these residences and concerts and those kinds of things. Like the days matter, you know, like you want to show up or it's the opening night for whatever thing, even if you're not planning on going there during that time, that can have a huge impact on flights, hotels, everything. So you really want to kind of do your research and that takes planning and timing. And hopefully, you know, when you do that, it leads to people saving some money. All right. So once you've narrowed down your options, now it's time to save up for it. There are a lot of ways to fund your vacation. And the first is to set up what's called a sinking fund, which is just 
a fancy way to say really short-term savings account. Instead of just having your vague savings for an emergency that may happen or for a big expense that may happen, this is money that you set aside for an upcoming expense that you know you're going to use. You save it knowing exactly what you're going to spend it on and you can leave it in your checking account and just kind of mentally flag it or you can put it somewhere else. We actually have a standard savings account attached to our checking account that we use for this. But if you don't want a bunch of different accounts for different things, Ally Bank actually has a feature called Savings Buckets, which allows you to divvy up your savings without opening multiple accounts. So that's a a win for them. So after you've established how much you need, you create a little place to put it, then you need to adjust your budget to start funding it. And this is really where you get creative. And you're going to hear us use that word creative a lot because this is the fun part about planning vacations. You can decide to do a no spend month. We did an episode on the benefits of doing no spend challenges. You can use a Roundup app and divert the extra change from your purchases to this savings account. Or if you're already in the habit of paying yourself first, when that paycheck hits, you just want to add this to the rotation and commit to funding it from the day that you decide you're going on vacation to the day that you make that first purchase related to the vacation. Yeah, I love this approach because it's 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 really about giving you the reward for the sacrifice that that you've done, right? So it could be could be anything. It could be deciding that we're not going to go out on Fridays you know, for the month of May or June, instead we're going to dine in and do taco nights and that's going to save us 35 bucks. And just that little thing is going to add up to a couple hundred dollars. Like all of these little things combined, you know, I think really make an impact. And so to your point, encouraging people to get creative, sort of embracing frugality in a fun and creative way. Yeah. In it's a like family I can have friendly Uber way. Eats now or we can eat on yeah, the beach just, in just Miami being mindful. In a yeah, just being mindful of like what that trade-off is because a lot of times people look at those things, they see the cost, they get sticker shock and they just completely write off the possibility of taking that vacation. But you can make it fun and sort of start saying things like, oh, well, I'm going to dine in one less time. I'm not going to do this thing. And there's probably going to be some big sacrifices as well. Like, well, I'm not going to be able to go to Texas for this family vacation or this family trip, but I'm going to be able to turn that into something bigger or better when it's time for me to take my vacation. Okay. So this is also a good time, I think, to look at any rewards programs, credit card points. Obviously, for those of you who are credit card point gurus and hackers, you know all about this. But I'm genuinely surprised these days by the number of people who still are not familiar with these things. They don't do it and they're unfamiliar with it. And so credit card point hacking, I think, is one of the things that a lot of people have done and continue to do for obvious reasons, because it really helps to soften the blow in terms of how much taking a vacation can cost. And basically, the idea is that when you get a credit card that has points or rewards attached, the more money that you spend, especially if you spend in like bonus categories or during sort of specific times of the year where they're offering more points for money that you spend, for every dollar that you spend, you typically earn a certain amount of points and you can convert those points into travel experiences, discounts on plane tickets or hotels, etc. Now, Obviously, we're talking about credit cards. We're very sensitive to credit cards. We know that there's a cost to carrying them, especially if you are uh, carrying a balance over time. And so there are some pros and cons that you want to be mindful of if you do decide to do this. Pros, obviously, you're going to save some money, right? 
But even that, I have to sort of put some quotes around it because like you're spending money on your credit card. Again, assuming you're not paying interest on that card, assuming there's not like an annual fee on that card or any of those other things that it costs or carrying costs for having that card, you will have the ability to convert the savings basically in the form of cash back in some way to savings opportunities for your particular travel. So there's that, right? Points do have sort of a cash convertible value. So that's a pro. The second is that there's usually a variety of ways that you can do them, right? So some cards are simply like, hey, it doesn't matter what you spend it on. I'm going to give you X amount of points. Other cards, they may say, hey, you know, we are going to give you twice as many points every time that you decide to buy groceries or gas in your car or you put certain bills like your cell phone on auto payments, your utilities, etc. So there are lots of ways to sort of quantify how much you spend on a credit card on any given period of time, whether it's a couple months or a year. From there, you should be able to see how many points you might be able to save by simply reallocating your spending in that direction. And then you can sort of take that value of those points and back it out of the budget that you set for your particular vacation. What I also like about these is that for people who don't spend a lot of money on credit cards, there's still a way for you to sort of benefit from gaining points. They have what's typically called like points and cash. And so if you wanted to, let's say, waive the fee on one night at that super expensive hotel, and to your point, it was $515, but you only had enough points for, let's say, $200, you can basically still use your points. And while you might not be able to get a whole night, they'll basically just deduct that $200 from the $500 fee. And then you're only paying $315 for that particular night. Now, there are some downsides to this. And I think this is one of the reasons why point hacking is not a really core part of our life. We really try to keep it simple and just do cashback cards with no annual fees. And it's because conversion values change. So what do I mean by that? Like I said, every time you earn money, these credit card companies are offering you points in exchange for that and that you can use those points to buy things. But that conversion value, whatever it is, three to one, four to one, it changes. Sometimes it changes every year. Sometimes it changes every single day. They are incorporating dynamic pricing the same way hotels and flights are incorporating dynamic prices because it costs them money to give you points because those points have cash value and they're not in the business of just giving money away for free, right? So there's a value to that. And sometimes they fluctuate uh, to ensure that the programs themselves are salvageable. Okay. So that's something you want to keep in mind. The second thing is that this idea is kind of a game, right? And when you gamify managing debt, it really kind of encourages having debt or holding debt, right? So that's something that you really want to be mindful of because it can be a little bit of a slippery slope. Uh, And the last thing is that converting points into things like tickets and hotels nights aren't always very flexible, right? And so to Kirsten's point about multi-generational travel in particular or traveling with kids, you might be all ready to go. You've got all the points. You're excited because you have enough points to book this travel, but you may not necessarily have the pull or the flexibility that you need to ensure that your child is going to be sitting next to you or, or that your room, or that isn't, your room isn't going to be across from the elevator, conveniently located <laughs> to the ice machine. Right? That's not as bad as the one next to the stairwell where you hear that door slam oh, gosh. Or, the, <laughs> or where the housekeeper's Go like yes. those are the worst rooms in the hotel. Yeah. And generally speaking, like especially if you don't have status and you're just starting out, like those are the rooms that you're going to get. Those are the rooms that they're willing to give away for free versus the other rooms that they're willing to give the nicer rooms, the rooms with the views, the rooms that aren't 
as noisy, right? Those rooms are the ones that they want to give to paying customers. So that's definitely something that you want to keep in mind. Now, if you have status and you're able to pull that card to ensure that you're able to get what you want, even though you're using points, go at it. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. So all that to say, we definitely use points when we have them, but we don't go out of our way to do it because the downsides usually outweigh the cost savings for at this stage in our lives. Our preferred way to find savings is really by searching different destinations, like we said, getting flexible. Uh, all of those things, I think, lure companies to offer you a discount, incentivize you to book, sign up for their program just to see what they're offering. Like We tend to play that marketing game as opposed to the loyalty marketing game. Right. The last thing I'll say for points is that if your points are scattered around, let's say you have some for Amex, some for Hilton, maybe some related to Chase, you can use an award search tool like point.me, point.me, which is a good entry-level tool that can search a lot of different airlines and help you figure out how to transfer your points from different programs like Amex and Chase to make the flight happen. Yep. Okay, so now that we've left the plan stage, let's talk about booking and more specifically how to save on transportation, a.k.a. how you're going to get to wherever you're going. If you're not brand loyal, meaning you don't always have to fly with the same airline, I highly suggest starting your search with Google Flights because you can get really specific with the search criteria. So, for example, you can search for a nonstop flight for a four-day trip leaving in the next two months, departing from St. Louis that are less than four hours. And you'll just get this map of all of the destinations and places and prices that make that fit that criteria. And that map is clutch because it's really the thing that allows you to look at like a calendar and see, oh, well, if I left on this date, it'll be this much. If I live the next day, it'll be that much. And it's a really like I think it's the most sophisticated tool that's out there. So shout out to Google for you know, looking at the bigger picture and helping people really plan their vacations that way. Yeah. And you can actually incorporate this while you're asking the questions that Julian suggested at the top of the episode. Now, if you plan to add a couple of days to a business trip, which I just learned is called leisure, by the way, which sounds like some sort of medical condition, it does. but it's business and leisure. Got a really bad leisure on my toe. <laughs> yeah. Got a leisure on your forehead. <laughs> Anyway, if you're planning to add to a business trip or somewhere that you're already going to be, you can use a site called flightconnections.com to get a sense of all of the nonstop flights that fly to any destination. And then from there, I would go to Google Flights to look at how much they cost and what your options are. Yeah. Now, if you're flying, you also want to learn how to pack light. I, again, I I take for granted that I'm a pretty savvy traveler, but whenever we're traveling on leisure, I tend to see... Uh, so many people uh, that are just like overpacking and they're not thinking about like how all of that kind of takes away from the experience. And so ideally, if you're planning for your vacation, you really want to carry on or at the very least gate check your luggage because this is going to save you twofold. It's going to save you money because you don't have to pay for baggage fees for checking your luggage. And it saves you time because you can just roll right through security. You can have your bags. You can drop it off right there on the, what do they call that? The jetway. And you can sort of head back onto the flight. When you get off, you can pick it back up just through the normal process as if you had checked your bag and it doesn't cost you anything. In some cases, you can even just pick it up. Uh, if you're traveling uh, like for short trips, you can just pick it up right when you get off the flight. So that's really helpful too. But learning how to travel light and pack light does require some investment, right? You're not going to be able in some cases to get like 
any bag that you can and a lot of do that. It really has to be one that is approved by TSA uh, that can fit in an overhead. Uh, you want to make sure that when you're carrying things like your toiletries that you have the right size with those toiletries. And so you may need to go and buy things like squeeze bottles and little containers to make sure that you don't have spills and those kinds of things. After a while, you get sort of used to it. You become like pro travelers like we do. Kirsten has even gone above and beyond to buy things like vacuum sealing, travel bags and packing cubes, which again, come really, really clutch because it allows you to carry things that you would not normally be able to carry. There's, to your point about guilt-free or stress-free, you don't really have to worry about if something is going to leak because it's going to be contained in sort of a vacuum-sealed container. Uh, So all of those little things, I think, really, really make it easier, whether we're talking about carrying liquids or carrying snacks or anything that could really lead to some type of traumatic or devastating experience that sort of disrupts the entire experience. If you absolutely need to check bags and you plan on being a frequent traveler, then maybe it makes sense to look into getting a partner credit card. There are tons of them out there, which really kind of takes that loyalty to the next level and gives you that level of service that you need, which I think makes the travel experience so much better for the vast majority of folks. Makes sense to do things like focus in on one airline or one hotel partner. That way you always know that no matter what you're doing, like you are going to be stamped as a frequent traveler or as someone that is of value to that company. And if something goes wrong or when something goes wrong, especially during summer travel, you know that you're going to be treated fairly. Well, the point of that was to waive your check bag fees. Well, there's that too. There's <laughs> so. that too. They, they, yeah, they do a really, really great job of taking care of the people that are willing to say, all right, let's, let's make this, let's make this a formal thing. Last thing I want to add about flying, and I say this because a lot has changed in the world of air travel over the last few years, but prepare for cancellations and delays. Like it, It's really unavoidable at this point. We experienced it a lot last year, more than we really had, I would say, in the yeah. last decade. Like yeah. It was absolutely crazy. And again, we're people who travel for both business and personal pretty regularly. The last year, in the last couple of years, but last year in particular was really, really bad. So cancellations and delays, they have huge, huge financial implications. Like do not under any circumstances, believe that you're just going to be put up in a nice hotel just because your flight has been canceled or delayed. Like that's not the world that we live in anymore. So I hate to be the bearer of that unfortunate bad news. In most cases, it means you're all of a sudden going to have to figure out a way to cover maybe a connecting, well, not maybe not a connecting flight. It really just kind of depends. But another night somewhere, if you decide that you want to go somewhere, more meals, more sort of impromptu sort of things just to help you ride that period because you were not planning on being there another night. And so all of those things have uh, costs associated with them. And so you really want to be mindful of that. Best ways to set yourself up for success in the likelihood that something like this happens. One, book direct. You always want to make sure that you book direct. And what that means is you're booking your flight or your hotels directly with the provider of that service. Now, we, I know we just said, hey, Google Flights is a great place to search. You can book, I believe, through Google, but that would not be considered booking direct. So you can use it as a search function, but when it's time to book that flight, you want to book with the airline that is actually with the carrier themselves. When it comes time to booking that hotel room, you want to make sure that you're booking with the actual hotel brand, the lodging partner uh, directly. Those are the things that are really going to help you if and when you experience some type of delay. 
second thing you want to do is download the app and actually use the app, log into the app, register to the app. It's going to make you have a much more seamless experience checking in, checking out, dealing with any issues. Flight attendants and hotel people will tell you, like, sometimes you get information before they do. Like, there's just, they're working off of legacy systems. The apps themselves are much more next-gen, much faster. And so you want to make sure that you do that as well. And then lastly, buying travel insurance, right? Like, you will have the option in a lot of cases when you're booking direct to click that little button to say, hey, for $29 or $35, I would say for sure during the summer, that is a must-have. You really want to make sure that you're doing that. So whether you're buying that insurance through the carriers or the lodging partners directly, or you're buying it through a third party, uh, either way, it's going to work for you. I think if you're buying a third party, it's going to be a little bit less expensive. So that's your quick little tip. All right. Let's say you're not flying. Let's say you want to take a little road trip. Our friend Gwen did this last year and drove all over the country. I forgot how many stops she made, but she had some really great tips on how to save money. I think her biggest one was to download a gas app. Yeah. I think she used Gas Buddy, but there's also Gas Guru. And these apps will basically tell you where the cheapest gas is so you're not out there just winging it. Now, if you're super savvy, you'll also fill up using a credit card to Julian's point that gives you more points for gas purchases. Now, to save on lodging for a road trip, particularly if it's a multi-day trip, map it out in advance and crowdsource. Do not be afraid to lean on community to save money on hotels. Our friend Jillian literally just posted yesterday that her family was about to begin their 2023 excursion. And she had this map that kind of shows a line of where they're going to go. And she asked everybody on Facebook, like, remind me where you live. And you'd be surprised how many people don't mind you staying with them for a night to get a hot shower or a fresh meal before you begin on your trek. You're not vacationing to their house. It's just a stop along the way and a good chance to visit with friends and family. And speaking of not being afraid to be unconventional, I would also say don't discount or forget about public transportation, right? Like trains, buses, even cruises in some way. All of these things still exist and are like pretty common and pretty cool ways to get around. I will say, uh, I think it was sometime last year, I fell down the Amtrak and Greyhound uh, rabbit hole on YouTube. And I was really surprised to see uh, all of the enhancements that we've seen over the last couple of years. I was especially uh, excited about some of the things that I saw with Amtrak. But there's another resource out there. There's one called Bus Bud, that's B-U-S-B-U-D, that basically allows you to compare, very similar to what we were talking about with Google Flights or what some people may be familiar with, Kayak. But Bus Bud allows you to compare bus and train tickets just like you would on any of those other flights. And so if you want to be competitive there because they are different levels, different luxury experiences when it comes to traveling by bus or rail as well. So you really want to get creative. What was the name of the company that you were saying that you were interested in trying at least once because we were thinking about going to Nashville? I don't remember, but if you look in your area, you can see that even local commuter buses have been started up. This one happened to be a luxury bus that has Wi-Fi and a little kitchenette on it. And you could get a trip to Nashville for under 200 bucks a person, but you wouldn't have to do anything. You could work the whole way. You could, you know, venture, walk around. So it's a great place if you're already in a city and just want to see more of the region, buses become a really easy way to transport yourself versus driving or flying. Yeah, I've been really surprised over the last couple of years, the number of luxury bus or overnight plush bus experiences that are popped up. So that's something you want to look at. But again, going back to Amtrak, 
they've got tasting cars and dining cars and like really private quarters. Like you're not just like on a city train, like they actually have plush experiences. And I did a quick little bit of research and they are in the process of completely revamping all of their trains and introducing this new state of the art trains that basically ensures that you're going to get all of the new bells and whistles that a lot of flights have today. And so those aren't going to go live until 2026. But even now, uh, they do have quite a few very affordable and I would say like really, really cool train experiences. And so if you're looking for something different and definitely less expensive than flights, don't sleep on Amtrak. So we talked about how to be proactive, how to plan your trip while remaining open minded, how to save on flights, how to save on gas, the benefits of packing light and a bunch of other stuff. I know this episode is a little longer than usual, but it's packed full of really good information. And now I want to talk about food, because if you really want to experience sticker shock, try to buy a sandwich at an airport. (laughs) You can walk away still hungry and $40 lighter, which could go to a number of things that are more beneficial. So Julian may be the chef between the two of us, but I humbly am the snack god. I know my snacks. I'm a strategic snack packer, and I have a few tips to share with y'all. The first one is just killing the misconception that you can't bring food on an airplane. Well, you absolutely don't bring smelly food on an airplane. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are social rules, but you can absolutely get through security with your own food. Now, if you're flying internationally, there are different rules, but typically on domestic flights, you can bring anything you want. Yep. Be kind to your neighbors. Don't be bringing <laughs> smelly stuff, but like tuna fish with raw <laughs> yeah. red onions, not a good idea. Okay. Now, you can't bring liquids. You can't bring liquids. So, with that, I pack an empty water bottle and bring those little electrolyte pouches, as well as instant coffee. And instant coffee is going to come in handy when you're at a hotel and you may not have enough coffee in those little bitty coffee cups or you don't want to use the maker. Or you're not getting housekeeping service like right. you're used to anymore, right? So, yeah. And and actually, I'll, I'll co-sign on instant coffee. It's, it's actually come a gotten long way. a lot better. Listen. This is not your grandmother's Folgers. No. No, it's good. It's good, especially the Starbucks one. Yeah. You can do it hot or cold. Yep. So that midday coffee pick-me-up, you can just have it in your purse and ask for water. Now, while packing, you want to keep all of your snacks together. Don't just throw them in your tote bag. You keep them <laughs> contained into one of those gallon-sized Ziplocs or a grocery bag, whatever you have. You just want to feel like you always have a smorgasbord of options. A whenever. smorgasbord? <laughs> A smorgasbord. You want to open up, you want to present your smorgasbord. Yes. Listen, snacks are very serious. When you're flying on a plane and someone opens up a smorgasbord, then that's Kirsten's fault. (laughs) Now, when we pack, we always pack our staples, granola, fresh fruit, applesauce, fruit snacks for our son. And then I try to mix up the variety. Now, this is very proprietary, but here is my formula. I'm willing to share it with y'all because I love you. Okay. But I always pack something fresh something crunchy, something salty, something sweet, and something new. The new thing is that thing that you be looking at at the grocery store and you're like, I'm not paying $7 for only four of them. Well, airline snacks are a good reason to pay $7 for the dark chocolate cherry granola that you see that you know your kids would demolish if you just had it in the house or that you would eat if you had it in the house. Buy it for your trip. It makes the trip far more enjoyable. I like that. 
And then the last thing that we do, and this isn't always possible, but when we're looking at hotels, we try to pick one that's near a grocery store because that's usually the first stop that we make. If it's too late when we get in, then we'll just plan to go to the grocery store the next morning for breakfast and we'll grab muffins and coffee while we're there, whatever, you know pastry they have. And then we'll also get waters and other staples that we may need. But we save on the first meal, which is breakfast, and we knock out an errand at the same time. Yeah. So to Kirsten's point, uh, she is the snack goddess, I guess, the (laughs) smorgasbordess. I am the foodie. I am the chef. Uh, My other tip as it relates to food, you know, oftentimes when you're planning these vacations, you also want to plan dinner reservations, restaurant reservations, and that can get really, really expensive. One of our stressful and stressful because, oh, my gosh, I need a nap. You're rushing back because of traffic. You're not hungry. Best time to go is this time. But he's normally going down by then. And grandma's get to a restaurant and nobody's hungry. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah, it can be stressful. But I think one of the best things you can do uh, and these have become more and more popular over the last couple of years are food halls, right? I remember a time where these were really, really new. And I think if you live in a major city, then you probably already have a couple of these, but there are more and more of them. And so in Atlanta, we have like Pond City Market, Croc Street Market, there's Chattahoochee uh, Food Works. I guess you could consider the Battery where the Braves play sort of uh, an environment. Yeah, that's more like of like a this. live work Eat. Yeah, those I mean, kinds of things. But these, these places, the reason why I like them is because, one, you have an opportunity to kind of go to these stalls. You get a little taste of something. Everything is basically shareable. You get sort of quality that you would expect at a full service restaurant without paying full service restaurant prices. Now, I don't know that they are necessarily cheaper in some cases. They can be a little pricey because sometimes the quality is even like better than what you would get at some standalone restaurants, which is sort of the appeal. But what I do like about them is that it's a bit of an afternoon, right? Like or an evening, like it's a full service I shouldn't say full service, but it's like a full experience, if you, especially if you have kids. But the idea is that on some days you may decide that you're going to have lunch sort of in the casual vibes. And then in the evening, you're willing to splurge a little bit. Maybe you want to have that nicer restaurant or vice versa. You may decide that you want to have and save money by going to that nicer restaurant during the lunchtime hour and spend your evenings where it's a little bit more casual, just kind of relaxing in a food hall, which they typically have tons of other like free things to add to the experience. So when you're done, you can get up. You may have like an open green space. You can take a walk on a pier or a boardwalk or any of the different things. We've done all kinds of these things around the country the last couple of years. And I think they're just really, really great. So don't just look at restaurants. Make sure you're looking at things like food halls and really kind of... And food trucks. And food trucks because sometimes they pull up next to or in the same area. Or there's an area some of called these a food truck park. So you want to try to Google your city or the area that you're in plus food hall or food truck park. Yeah, it's a time saver. In some cases, it can be a money saver and it just really creates like a really, really cool experience that's different from just going to a sit-down uh, restaurant. Now, a couple other things you want to look for that's a little outside of just directly talking about food, but things like walking tours, right? You can do that more often than not, like in tandem with these kinds of food halls. Like there might be a stop along the way and then you can go and see other things. These can be guided. And in some cases, they're going to be a little less expensive. If you go with a group, uh, you can also do it independently. There are tons of blogs and YouTubers out there that basically say, this is the walking path that I recommend. And you basically follow that and you get to see a little bit more of the the city or the destination in a really, really cool way. Uh, So, yeah, 
food halls, walking tours, all of these, I think, non-traditional things that people don't necessarily uh, put at top of mind. I think I really, really clutch it, adding to the experience, but don't cost you a lot of money. All right. Last but certainly not least, I'm going to give you a few tips for multi-generational travel. I'm going to start with kids. Julian will touch on the other end of the spectrum because to me, the difference between a great trip and a never again trip is really about nailing two things, the activities and the accommodations. If you can nail both of those things, you're probably more likely to have a really good time than if you don't. So with kids, we bring the tablet everywhere, period. Like you never know when you're going to encounter a delay and it just helps to have something to occupy your child while you're working with whoever you need to work with to get things moving along. So pack headphones. Do not forget to pack headphones. You need tablet and headphones. We also pick restaurants that are more scenic. So food halls, again, if there's a delay and he's restless, one parent can take a walk with him while the other one holds down the food order. It also kind of allows us to bribe him with dessert or encourage him to try new things in a really low stakes way. It's not like a restaurant where it's like, this is what you ordered. You have to eat it. You can bounce around to different places. I tend to bring a few quote unquote new toys to add to the mix. Ideally, they're things that keep his hands busy and don't have a ton of pieces. When he was younger, we used to do those water, invisible ink, coloring books. But as he's gotten older, we've really started to enjoy crossword puzzles, word searches, tic-tac-toe, things like that. And then once we get there, we try to find a Dollar Tree or something similar to grab bubbles and other little things that he might enjoy during the travel and transportation and weight of it all. We also will do a search for any local festivals or fairs that are in town while we are. Those are always clutch. Always clutch and always like super affordable and a fun new experience. If there's not anything like that, then we'll look for an outdoor mall, preferably, or somewhere that has like arcades and activities like, you know, uh, go-karts, something like that, so that we can walk around and try new things. And then we really, really try not to buy souvenirs. It can be very hard as you're walking around airports and you see all of the overpriced items and, you know, you're at these stores. We really try hard not to buy souvenirs. We take a lot of fun pictures. And then when we get home, we make an effort to display those around the house, either on the TV or we'll print them and put them in his room so that he remembers the exciting parts of the vacation and not necessarily the stuff that we bring back. Yes, experiences over things. Okay, let's talk a little bit about accommodations. We spent a lot of time talking about hotels. There's a lot that I love about hotels. There's also a lot that I love about Airbnbs. I think what I especially love about hotels, especially branded hotels, is that they have what are called brand standards, which basically means that if you're going to the same brand or hotel, you can pretty much assume that they're going to have the same amenities, the same offerings, regardless of the property that you're visiting. On the downside with Airbnbs, like you cannot make that assumption. And we've had a lot of mixed experiences. And so, and the reason for that is because there is no like standard, right? Like just because you're booking at an Airbnb and it had these things, a toaster, a Nespresso machine, and really, really nice pillows does not mean the next time you book at an Airbnb, even if it's in that city and by that same super owner or super host, that they're going to have those same things. Like it's just different. Every Airbnb is different. And so when you're booking an Airbnb, if you're looking to stay at an Airbnb as a way to save money, especially when we're talking about traveling with 
multi-generations. You got to think about the older person. You got to think about yourself. You got to think about the child. You really want to make sure that you're paying attention to the details. So a couple of things, and this is literally from my personal experience. Don't just breeze through the photos and say, oh, this is nice, especially when you're looking at different bedrooms. If you need a TV in that room, make sure you see a television in that room. That's huge. The number of TVs in the house is important. Right. I think you got a kid, you got an older person, you got yourself. And a lot of people like to use TV. Correct. To calm down. Just to kill some time in the afternoon in between whatever we were doing outside when things were hot and evening when things cooled down. That middle period, like if you don't have that, like it can really, really sort of take away from the overall experience. So don't overlook that. Make sure you're looking for that. And that's not the only thing you want to make sure you don't overlook. Again, you might assume that because you're booking a stay somewhere that they're always going to have things like heating and air conditioning or have both. Right. You might see an indicator just because you see an indicator, which is like the little snowflake frosty thing. That means, yes, they do offer air conditioning does not mean that they offer heat just because you see the little fire thing doesn't mean that they offer that. Right. So you really want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. And again, this requires you to think differently than you would when you were booking a hotel, because you generally would assume that a hotel is going to have those things. Now, if it's broken, that's a different idea. But Airbnbs are not necessarily required to do that. The last thing I would say is just really, really study the photos. I'll tell you, as someone who has sort of recently gotten into photography, these wide angle lens are making places look a lot larger than they really, really uh, would. So if things look a little warped, a little off, they're doing that for a reason to make the place look larger to make the place look wider. So make sure that you're paying attention to the nitty gritty details so that you don't feel as if you're buying a place that's significantly larger, because more often than not, those are really clever photography tricks that people are doing to make the place look a little bit more inviting. When in reality, it's not nearly as bright. It's not nearly as clean. (laughs) It's not nearly as modern. That's really just Photoshop. Right. All right. Final thoughts. All right, let's do it. So for my final thought is that for me, travel has been one of our best investments over these years. It's one of the most rewarding experiences and it's a way to build connections for families because it makes everybody step out of their routines and just kind of open up to each other and really get to know each other in a different way. But when the travel is too expensive or too cumbersome, it actually has the opposite effect. So with a little bit of planning, flexibility, and creativity, you can really enjoy the perks of travel without the pains of breaking the bank. So I encourage you to look at this as a creative challenge and go somewhere new. Even if it's only just an hour away, I really encourage everyone to let this episode be permission to still enjoy travel and find ways to make it fit your budget. I feel like you stole my notes a little bit because that is exactly (laughs) where I was going. I think so much of having a guilt-free experience is about not overspending and like finding that balance between feeling restored, which is what more often than not we want vacations to do uh, without blowing money. And so the first thing I would say is, as you were suggesting, is to give yourself permission to spend less. Like do not buy into this idea that by spending less or making an effort to spend less that you are by default creating a subpar experience. That's just simply not true. I think the last thing that anyone really wants to deal with is to be stressed 
to decide that you want to take a vacation to sort of remove that stress from your life only to come back with even more stress because now you have a ton of bills on things and experiences that you quite honestly didn't even really enjoy that much. Uh, And so it just sort of like is a really, really vicious cycle that can lead to debt and all those other things. And so you want to make sure that you're mindful of that, getting creative. And I think that's, that's really, really the key. Get creative. Don't lock yourself into the beaches. Don't lock yourself into the summer. Go to some of those other places, explore different corners of the world, of your country, of your own backyard. And I think that will lead to much more restorative and really great um, vacation memories for you and your loved ones. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you enjoyed today's travel tips, don't be a tourist and leave us hanging. Venture on over to the Apple Ratings and Review page and leave us a five-star rating and review. We will see y'all next week.